Welcome to the STR Data Lab. Greetings and salutations, STR data nerds. Mariah Kamei here. I just wanted to spend a couple seconds, minutes maybe, teeing up my guest for this week. Oh my goodness. This woman, I think she's maybe the bravest woman I know. Also, I'm like really impressed with her ability to scale her short-term rental business while also having a full-time job. As some of you already know, I have a hard enough time just with a full-time job. I Who am I talking about? Who is this fabulous woman? Of course, I'm talking about the one, the only Stacy St. John. She is an incredible coach. She has taken a lot of her wisdom from being in the corporate business world and transferred it over to running a very successful short-term rental business. Not only does she own and invest in properties in multiple markets, she also is a property has a property management company um, and helps other folks maximize their you know revenue and everything else in the industry. And she also has, again, great coaching classes, great Facebook groups. I had so much fun getting all of the great wisdom from her brain um, out into the world in this podcast. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Happy listening, folks. On to the show. Stacy St. John. Hello, fabulous female. How are you? I am so good. I am so excited to be here with you. And I'm going to say... You're a fabulous female. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I take it, man. It's uh, like, who knows? This is probably going to air on a Thursday, but it's Monday morning for us. So you got to talk about being fabulous, right? <laughs> like right off the bat, you're like, we are fabulous. Gotta Amen. Own it. And it's okay to own that, right? A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I like, I just like my new mantra for the year is like, step into your essence, like step into who you are, like just own it. I love that. Yeah. Well, you, you're you owning it left and right, my friend. You're <laughs> killing it. For folks who don't know, how did you get into this crazy business? You're in the short-term rental business. You're a tour de force, as I like to say. I need an origin story. It's like Wolverine. I need the origin story. Okay. I love this. Um, <laughs> I will try to keep this as succinct as possible, but I got into the short-term rental industry really about three years ago, back in 2020. Good timing. Good timing. Thank you. Thank you. In the heart <laughs> of COVID. So I was previously investing in long-term rentals and was, you know, um, in doing flip projects and I have my real estate license here in Ohio. And long story short, when eviction moratorium started popping up due to COVID, Right. My husband and I decided that, hey, maybe buying another long-term rental isn't in our best interest, you know, because we might not have recourse if our tenant doesn't pay. Right. So right. we decided that for us, we wanted to explore the world of short-term rentals because very candidly, someone would actually have to pay to get the keys, right? Right. Right. Very good point. And uh, we bought our first two properties in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and mm -hmm. realized, number one, we love the fact that we have vacation rentals at the beach. And number two, 
oh darn, we have to take tax deductible trips to the beach to check <laughs> on our properties. <laughs> so, and it's really snowballed from there. So we own 10 uh, short-term rentals, nine of which are at the beach. One is in Hocking Hills, Ohio, uh, just about two hours away from where I live. And then we also, I have a boutique property management firm down in Myrtle Beach and doing co-hosting here in Ohio. And it's definitely snowballed into something that I could have <laughs> never dreamed of a couple short years ago. That is so, yeah, that sounds like that, as I like to say, escalated quickly for you. You're it's like, it. let's just dip our toe in. Let's see what it's like. <laughs> and then, okay. All right. All right. So talk to me a little bit about scalability because yeah, like how did you, how quickly did you go from property one to property two? Like, was did it really truly domino or were you kind of yeah. like slow and steady about that approach? Oh, it definitely dominoed. We bought and rehabbed eight beachfront properties in our first year. Oh my God. You are and so much braver than me. <laughs> That's well, well, real bravery. It was so fun. I found that I absolutely loved it. And candidly, I was doing this while while working full time in the oh, corporate world. From oh my gosh. And, you know, I live in Ohio. So we were rehabbing properties 10 hours away from where we live. Yes. Um, so one might call me a little crazy, actually. <laughs> well, I was going to, I was, yeah, again, brave, brave and crazy. Same, 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 same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was something, do you know what it's like when you discover something new and it's not just something like you're excited about, but you discover something that you absolutely love. Mm. And that's what it was for me. I was just so freaking excited about what we were doing. It never seemed like work. It never seemed oh. scary to oh. me. Okay. Okay. Well, you not only are you um, maybe just a skosh crazy, extremely <laughs> brave, but also I think that you you really hit a really important thread there, right? Which is just like to me. And let me just explain that I also I went to school for interior design. Like this is the stuff that should excite me too. But there's a reason I'm obviously not in interior design anymore. I'm like, how in the heck could you get excited about renovations? Oh my god. Oh my. Why? But, but talk to me a little bit about, yeah, like sort of what, what is it about it that you love? Like it's cause I'm sure it's not the headache of like, what's the lead time on that, that floor tile. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, for me, a couple of things excited me. Number one, I knew I was forcing appreciation in this real estate. So I knew it had a financial impact. Okay from performing those renovations. Number two, strategically, I I selected that particular market for a few different reasons. And one of the reasons was because I knew that I wanted to rehab something. Okay. And number two, there were so many opportunities to find super ugly properties there. But the thing that excited me was about creating a space that had the vibe of a relaxing place where someone would walk in the door and go, oh, this is so amazing. You know, there was something that just lit me up inside about that. 
And candidly, you know, when I was a kid, I would vacation at the beach. And those memories of my vacations from when I was a little girl still stick with me today. And so for me, again, when I'm looking to decorate or stage or furnish or rehab a property, and I am no interior designer by any stretch of the imagination, but it's like there's some underlying satisfaction, like this is going to be a beautiful place where someone makes memories for their family. And so I just, I don't know, I find that so fun. I don't know why, but I do. I Okay, there are so many good, amazing, like just nuggets, takeaways that I think are so, so important and I think can translate into anyone's sort of strategy for becoming a short-term rental investor and, and you know, sort of host, uh, rentalpreneur. I think I'm, I'm always trying on the right term. I'm like, what do we call ourselves in this business? It's so hard to figure out. So the first thing was like, one, like sort of like, what were your motivations, right? And it sounds like one of the motivations absolutely was like profitability, right? So you were thinking, okay, this is a place I know people will love to go. I know that I can actually get, you know, into this market, you know, buy something that, you know, is affordable to me and then I can help it appreciate over time very nicely. And then secondly, I love this sort of like head and heart component of it, which was like, you just were like, I know in my heart of hearts that this is an experience that I want to deliver for people, right? And so like, so it was also very people centric. You're like, I have fond memories of the beach. I want to give other people those fond memories. I think that's a really, really important part. We talk a lot about that actually on the podcast and I like love to come up with a clever quip. So I always say like, put the host back in like hospitality, right? Because it's like, this is a business about people and about memories and about experiences. And if you kind of forget that component of it, I think it's really hard to be successful, honestly, right? So like, I love that you had a visceral connection. You had an emotional connection to your guests. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what? One of my favorite things to this day is to go into my properties and look at the guest book, you know, see what people write about their experiences there because that makes it all worthwhile. Not the, not to say that the financial aspect isn't rewarding, <laughs> not to say that the teams aren't rewarding, but when you read in a guest's words about the fond memories they have from staying in your place, you know that those memories are going to stay with them for a lifetime, right? Yeah. And it gives me goosebumps just talking about it because it's like, that is so cool. That is, no, it is incredibly cool. And like, yeah, you just, you reframed a lot of things for me. Because <laughs> sometimes we get, we, we do get a lot of guests on the show that are a little bit more focused on like the profitability and the numbers and the things like that. So I love that we're talking about a, a totally different sort of motivation, right? And I think, and also- to your point, they can coexist, right? I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the holy grail, I would say, which is like Amen. feeling like you're doing something good, you're contributing to something positive for folks, and you're also, of course, able to be profitable in doing it. I love that. Well, yeah, I mean, you you obviously struck a chord for me because I am just like dreaming of a, taking my kids to the beach for the first time because they've never been. Like, but I'm like Caribbean beach. I'm like, we are going. I just want you to play in the sand on the beach, make a castle, the whole nine sister, the whole nine. So I am a huge fan of the Caribbean, even though my properties are not in the Caribbean. <laughs> um, my first fun fact, my first trip to the Caribbean, I actually won on wheel of fortune. I was, um, I, no, it was so fun, but I won a trip to St. Croix. <gasps> 
And it was magical. It was so beautiful. And it was at that point, I said to my husband, why are we flying to Hawaii and spending 14 hours traveling when we can spend two hours on an airplane and be in the Caribbean? Because it is just as beautiful, in my opinion. It's gorgeous. So you got to take your kids to the beach. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to trust me. We're going to, I'm going to go look at your properties and get us on that one too. Cause I'm, I want to stay at one of your places. I know I'm going to be treated well. Amen. <laughs> so I coming back to that scalability thing, one of the things that like strikes me and it's interesting cause I think there's definitely a debate about this. Um, right. Which is just like, Again, do you go for a place that maybe you have an emotional connection to? And like you were saying, you're like, oh, darn, I got to go down to Myrtle Beach again, right? Or do you go for a place that's just going to like look good and make sense by the numbers? But what I'm also hearing from you is that like, I'm guessing why you were able to scale so quickly in one location is because once you got that first house under your belt, you had your contractor, you had your sources, you kind of knew what the vibe was and you were probably creating a brand in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I think number one, um, we very specifically chose to lean heavily into one market because as we all know, it's not easy to find good people. And by leaning in and choicefully leaning into a singular market, it was easier for us to really, really build a team That was what I consider best in class. And candidly, sometimes it takes going through the folks who aren't best in class to find the ones who are. And because we did choose to lean heavily into that market, we could get economies of scale where, you know, you've got inspector that can look at all your properties. You've got uh, maintenance folks who can do all of your properties instead of having to go to a singular market here and find an inspector and a maintenance person and HVAC and plumbing and electric. I mean, the whole shebang, right? Right, right. So I was doing all this while I was working full time. And so it also was just a little bit easier to lean into that singular market quite candidly. A hundred percent. But I think that's that's really smart too, from my perspective. I think the takeaway there is like, you know, don't try to like be a superhuman, right? Like be efficient, be smart about this, like set yourself up for success, right? Amen to that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And also you're making me feel like a slacker because I'm, I basically am only holding down a full-time job right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's maybe call me crazy piece comes back in. So, um, yeah, don't, you are totally not a slacker. I can tell you that. And, um, I think you're doing amazing things. So, well, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so tell me how, so then what possessed you to get into the Ohio business? What was sort of, what were the market conditions there where you were like, no, I think there's something, there's something happening in Ohio. I'm sure. There's something happening. So I over here. I was actually speaking at the STR Wealth Conference last June, and the founder of another data company had mentioned, hey, you should look into Logan, Ohio. It's right in your backyard, Stacey. Yeah. And so I thought, well, it's not the beach, but let me look into this. And sure enough, There were tremendous opportunities in that market and 
it's in an area called Hawking Hills, which is a, I would call a regional vacation destination. Gotcha. And every time my family has personally tried to go to Hawking Hills, we can never find a place to stay. What? And I- so, you know, the creative juices started flowing in my mind and thinking, well, heck, this could, we were finally ready to diversify. We were actually looking to diversify into a second market by this point. Love that. And so by choosing a market that number one, I had interest in from a financial standpoint, but number two, afforded us opportunities to find someplace a bit closer. So Hawking Hills is about two hours instead of 10 hours. You know, making that two hour trek is nothing. It's super duper easy and I can get there and back in a day, although I don't go very often. But anyway, that's what kind of spurred me on to that secondary market. And we are just now beginning to replicate what we did in Myrtle Beach into that market as well. Oh my goodness. This is so, I love this. Well, firstly, I love that data helped inform that decision, right? Mm -hmm. But I also think, again, there's like just a nice little balancing act. We always tell everyone is like, yes, definitely look at the data and then, you know, validate it with some good hunches, right? Like, and to your point, like your big clue there was like, oh, wait, we can never find a place, which means supply is definitely not outpacing demand in Logan, Ohio. Right. And it's a little niche market. It's so funny. Yeah. I've talked to a couple of other people that have that sort of like, again, like you can just look in your own backyard because in every state there are these attractions, these, these destinations that people are going for. And frankly, lots of people want to just drive two hours to go on vacation, right? not fly 10, you know, two hours or whatever. That's totally. Absolutely one, love that. Sorry to interrupt you. One thing that I also think is really important to point out is understanding why you're investing to begin with, number one. Ooh, I love this. Number two, if you're investing with your spouse or a partner, sitting down and building out a vision for what you want from your investment portfolio in five years is really important because then once you have that, then you can reverse engineer what that looks like. A lot of people, I believe, obviously a lot of people fall into this, right? They they have this rental that becomes a short-term rental, but there's no reason why we can't then, if we're going to be in this industry, sit down and really, really think about what we want from this business. And then once we establish what we want, then we just build a plan to achieve that. Yes, that's great life advice, period. I, yes, I think that that is so, so I'm glad you bring that up because it, yeah, I, we always like jokingly, cause it did seem, I think, especially from the years of 2020 to 2021, 2022, that folks kind of like, they really, some people were like, oh, this can be a passive income, right? Like I can just list whatever property I have, or I've got an ADU or something like that. And then what we were joking is like, what do you, what do you do? And you're like, oops, I accidentally am now like a host, like crap. Like, I'm like, like, this is a lot more than I thought it was, right? Like, now what? And so sitting down and thinking about, like, what you really want to achieve. And and I love this, like, really torturing the why. Why am I doing this, right? And, and again, like, if it's just for the money, that's one strategy. And that's a completely different strategy than if you're sort of motivated, you know, also by delivering experience 
Absolutely. And you can look at that in general across your investment portfolio, but you can also look at that from a singular property perspective. And a very, very relevant for me, we've got some great friends who um, I always tell people we've peer pressured into buying real estate. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's not terrible. They'll thank you later, Stacey. <laughs> but so now they own four beach condos. And um, <laughs> that's some good peer pressure. <laughs> I know. I know. But we have a blast doing it together. But I share that because they're a husband and wife and they're looking to acquire another property and they're having trouble finding the right property because they're each wanting to approach this next acquisition for different reasons. <laughs> and again, that's not relatable to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think even when you look at from a micro perspective, why, why are we looking to acquire this property? Is it because we want a place for our family to enjoy and we want it to just pay for itself potentially or offset the cost of, right. you know, owning this property? Or are we wanting to have an investment first approach where, hey, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a financial investment for us. And oh, by the way, we get to enjoy it a couple times of the year. Those are two very different conversations when we're thinking about acquiring a piece of real estate. So I think you can look at that from a macro perspective, but also on the micro level, you can look at that from each individual property. Yeah. 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 You're making me think it's easier to invest um, without a spouse. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I do. I Rare. think, well, that's for a different podcast. Yeah. That's a different right. podcast. <laughs> we won't go into that. But I do. I remember when my husband and I bought our first property, it really was like such a such a good eye opening experience for us to and because like, you can't have it all like you can't. Those are two very different strategies. Like it, they're just in conflict with each other. So you kind of have to pick a lane. But again, you know, you could do that with one property and then the next property pick the other lane in theory. Well, I would love to know sort of like I, I love that you were like we were at a point where we were ready to diversify our portfolio. What was it? What were sort of like the criterias in your mind where you were like, no, I'm ready to diversify? How did you know you were ready? Sure. Well, a couple of things really, really were important for us. And my the way that I've set up my business might be a little bit different than most people's, but I have a 24-7 concierge team that takes care of all of my guest bookings, inquiries, you know, troubleshooting, maintenance, coordinating with getting cleaners set, all the fun stuff when it comes to the day-to-day -day operations. And yes. I did that, number one, was one of the reasons is, again, I was working full-time while I was building this business. So as you might imagine, the beach is a seasonal market, right? <laughs> so a lot of people love, love, love to come to the beach in the summertime. And we absolutely have people that visit in the spring and the fall. However, the ADRs are very different in those shoulder seasons. And then wintertime is like crickets. You know what I mean? Like not many people want to come for a family vacation to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina when it's 50 degrees outside. So in the wintertime, we tend to shift to a midterm rental strategy where we'll host snowbirds, you know, for four, six, eight weeks at a time. Right. Well, as you might imagine, regardless of whether people are traveling to the beach or not, 
we have fixed costs in our business. Yes. And so we were looking to diversify to help obviously defray some of the, some of the slowness of the winter season. And we were looking for another market, which wasn't as seasonal as with the highs and the lows, number one, but number two, looking for a market where the peak season was different than the peak season at the beach. So it would help us balance things out from an income and expense perspective. That's fabulous. I love that. No, that that makes that makes a lot of good logical sense. The other thing that I love about your approach, uh, which again, I think is super, super important for anyone just starting out like myself, is this idea of like treating this as a business. So even though you had a full-time job, right? You I'm I'm guessing that part of maybe what was on your five-year vision board was not having a full-time corporate job. <laughs> You know, you could have, you could be right about that, Mariah. Absolutely. Yes. I was looking for an exit for sure. (laughs) But what is probably was an advantage for you is that having worked in that world, you probably brought some, did you bring some of that sort of knowledge of like the, you know, being a business leader, being in, in an actual business where I'm sure there were things that you were concerned about, like what's my revenue and what's my EBITDA and all those things. Right. Absolutely. I think It is so critically important, in my opinion, for anyone who is a short-term rental owner or operator to understand that you are a business leader. Yes. You're not just the owner of a property or a host to guests. You are a, you know, CEO of your business. And I also think the business leader mentality is very different than a business owner mentality. Ooh, ooh and so I, I just think that again, I could be a little bit crazy about this, but in so many ways, it's easy for people to do just enough to get by, even in a business setting, right? Where it's, oh, 100%. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be fine with making my numbers, or I. You know, I'm not going to lose money. I'm doing okay. But when we think about ourselves as business leaders, that number one puts a different spin on even the way we think about ourselves and our our day-to-day. Number two, behaving as a business leader. What do successful business leaders do? Well, they do they make decisions based on data. They don't make decisions on a whim. Now, Making swift decisions is oftentimes really important as a business leader, but it's also really important to make data-driven decisions to be strategic in what we're doing. So I think for me, having the perspective of, number one, recognizing that data is a really important piece of this business has been critical, but number two... I was trained in my corporate life in something called EOS, and it's an employee entrepreneurial system, right, for, for it's, I think it's called employee operational system. But you think about the books you've heard, Traction and Rocket Fuel, it's all of the infrastructure of how to make 
a small business thrive. And one of the things that's really important is that your actions in your business align with what you say you want from your business, right? Mm -hmm. So again, it's those five-year goals. Well, are we making day-to-day decisions in our business that align with what we want five years from now or even this year? So again, it's all about, in my mind, taking that experience from the corporate world and actually applying it to my own short-term rental business. So that's been super fun. I mean, it's a creative way for me to think about, you know, being a real estate rentalpreneur, Um, (laughs) but it's something I love too. So I could get on, I could talk about this stuff for days. I I don't want to bore your audience. (laughs) Wow. Highly, highly unlike, highly unlikely that you're boring anyone right now. I think this is so great because again, not everyone may have the advantage of having been in a corporate setting like you did. But what is great is that, you know, I always like just draft off of other people's like, I'm like, cheat off of other people's homework, right? Like you've been through it, you know, and you're bringing some really solid frameworks to your process that anyone, whether they were in a corporate America or not, can adopt. And so I love I love this concept again of sort of like, make sure that your actions are matching your intention, right? Or the impact matches its intention. And and this idea of data, I I think one of the things that, you know, we always encourage folks to do is like, you know, like do a quarterly business review of your properties, even if you only have one and like understand, you know, exactly how much is going into it, right? How much you've invested into it and what is the return on that investment, right? Even down to like, okay, here's my ADR. Great. Cool. But like, what does it cost me per night? <laughs> right. Right. Well, and to your point, not only doing a quarterly business review, but also looking at trends in the data because it's very easy to get caught up into, well, what does this metric really mean? Mm -hmm. And it's, I think, a bit difficult when we're looking at a metric in a moment in time. However, when we simply track those metrics over time, you can begin to see trends emerging just naturally and organically. So establishing a best practice of tracking data in your business and simply throwing it onto a spreadsheet, right? And then coming back and revisiting that spreadsheet to look at seasonal trends or year-over-year trends or how is my ADR tracking this year versus last year versus last season. You know, again, Once you have the data, there's all kinds of fun stuff you can do with it. But the first step is start tracking the data. Right. Step one. Step one. Yeah. Well, and I think you're totally right. And thank you, of course, for talking about that on our data podcast. (laughs) Um, Love that. So the trends over time is what is really important to us at AirDNA too, right? Because like, yes, if you have data on your property, it is going to be accurate. Like 100%, you're going to know. But generally speaking, when you're looking at macro trends, right, you're you're going for a certain level of error that is acceptable, right? Like that's just sort of like data one-on-one. But what you're really trying to track, in addition to the absolute number, is the trend over time. And so have things changed? And I love this idea of like year over year, right? And it, particularly because you have to kind of look at like 2018, 2019, 2020, 2020, 2022, where it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we had experienced in this industry so much astronomical growth both from demand, but also from supply, right? And the problem is, once people know there's a good thing going on, 
a lot of people hop on that bandwagon. <laughs> yep. So for us, you know, the recommendation we always make is like, just get one step ahead, right? Because like, like I always joke, I'm like, by the time I'm ready to invest in a market, like if I'm just looking at like the signs and like reading the travel blogs, whatever, it's too late. Like, you know what I mean? Like if I'm going, if I'm trying to invest where I'm vacationing, I've already missed the boat. Like, <laughs> which is why, it. you know, like sort of the riches are in the niches is what I like to say. I love that. So very, very interesting. And then this idea, to your point, I love this idea of like, like yes, definitely looking at ADR over time, but looking at like your booking window, your booking lead times. And then for us, what's so important is to get out of your own echo chamber and to look in, at your comparables, right? And to, at your competition and say, okay, like how, what is their booking lead time? What are their ADRs and how am I, am I, am I leaving money on the table? Did everything else get booked a lot higher than I was pricing right. or did I, did I overprice and now everyone else is booking under and I'm just like now not even getting the occupancy? Well, and I think too, when you have those data trends and, and specific comparisons with other properties in the market, you can begin to have more strategic thoughts and conversations if you are managing other people's properties. So as an example, you know, we do, um, shameless plug for AirDNA here, <laughs> but you, we, we do have all of our properties loaded in your system so that we can see how our occupancy compares with our comparables in our market. How does our ADR look compared to other properties in our market? How does our, again, your booking lead time? So for me, as not only an owner of real estate, but also a licensed property manager where I'm managing other people's properties, if there are certain nuances about that property that I know are holding that owner back from achieving what they want financially, by having data at our fingertips, I can show them what I mean. Hey, and I just, again, had this very real conversation with a property owner recently where there are opportunities for her to make her property, I believe, more beautiful and more of an experience for her guests. Right. And sometimes having, you know, it's that's more of a feeling or a gut instinct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By being able to show her, this is how your one-bedroom property is performing. These are five other one-bedrooms in our own portfolio from which we have staged and built this aesthetic. And guess what? They're bringing in 30% more revenue every year. Love that. Can I help you get there? Right? So then it shifts the conversation and it allows you to bring solutions to the table if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I love that. Yeah. It takes the objectivity out of it, right? It's not just like, oh, Stacey's telling me she wants me to invest 3000 or $10,000 into this property because she thinks it needs to look more beautiful, which, you know, on surface level, you're like, what's the value of that? You're like, well, let me tell you what the value is. It's that you're going to make 30% more, right? You're going to make that, you're going to get that return on investment. And yeah, I mean, if you just, if you don't know who's listing right next to you, right? <laughs> right. You can't you can't really figure that out. Oh my goodness. Stacy, I love this. I could talk to you all day, as you know, but I'm not gonna torture you. <laughs> I just um, had Natalie Palmer on and we decided the slogan was like, this podcast is not torture. <laughs> okay. I am glad that we are not torturing each other, but I could talk to you all day too. So <laughs> there you go. 
I love it. Well, I would love to play one quick game with you that we play with all of our guests. And then, of course, I want people to know more about how they can get more of your wisdom and your frameworks and the way that you've sort of built your business. Again, guys, draft off of Stacy's experience. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. So, Stacy, the game is who, what, and where. And the first question is, it sounds like you're good at games. You've done Wheel of Fortune. I'm not worried about you. You've got this. You've got this. Who, apart from yourself, would you recommend folks listen to for inspiration or read? Who else in this space is sort of like offering some kernels of advice that folks oh, might gosh. Let me ask you the rules to this game. Do I have to just share one person? No. Firstly, there's no rules on this podcast. (laughs) But I like that you asked the rules. This shows that you're a good game player. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so a couple of ideas that come to mind are, I love the Thanks for Visiting podcast. So Sarah and Annette, they're just such fabulous resources to folks. And again, I believe them to be in alignment with what we've just talked about, you know, having a good business sense, but also having a heart at the same time. So definitely Sarah and Annette. I think that getting plugged into hospitable hosts, which are now two books. I was a co-author on the first book. They are getting ready to release the second book this month uh, or this spring, I should say. And so by reading those books, you actually have exposure to hosts from all around the world and what their nuggets and helpful insights have been. So it really just is a potpourri of different people's experiences. And I think that that's a really good resource. Am I allowed to shamelessly plug my Facebook group for any? Okay. Again, the rule, there's no rules here. You know, I don't want to step on toes. But, you know, I've got a Facebook group called Female Short-Term Rental Investors, and we have almost, as of today, just shy of 36,000 women from all around the world who eat, sleep, breathe, and talk short-term rentals every day. And so, ladies, if you are listening, would love, love, love to welcome you inside of there. Um, There are so many fabulous people in this industry. I feel like I'm doing a lot of people a disservice by not mentioning them, but I think that's, that's that that's also one of the beauties of this industry is that there are so many fabulous people who are here to help. You think about Julie George and, you know, Tracy Northcott and Valerie Malone. I mean, there's so many fabulous women and guys. Sorry, I'm talking about women here, um, <laughs> but, you know, so many fabulous guys too. Bill Faith, Mike Shogren, Mark Simpson. So many great people. So definitely get plugged in to all those folks and the hospitable host books, I think can also be a, a fabulous resource. That was a really long answer and I'm really that's sorry. A, that's okay. So We're long. not going to penalize you for it. There was no time. I think there was a really good takeaway in that as well, Stacy. which is just like, you know, there's a veritable smorgasbord, as you would say, of options. So you're probably going to find somebody that resonates with your strategy, find somebody that has, you know, some curls with them and don't just listen to one person. Get yeah. multiple people in there. And in fact, like anyone, even just like to your point, like just Joe Schmoes and Jane Schmoes that are doing it on Facebook groups and telling you what they were thinking. I love that. All right. Were you ready for your next question? I, mean, I think so. <laughs> um, all right. The, this one is just what do you wish you knew 
um, that you now know, but when you first started, what sort of like do you wish that somebody had told you? Now, since we're imparting advice to other folks that are just getting started. Okay. So I share this, that I am a recovering perfectionist. Ooh, I like this. I like where you're headed with this. Talk okay. Okay. So what I wish I knew was that, am I allowed to cuss, by the way? Under, uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. so what I wish I knew was that shit was going to happen. And I that, that I didn't need to get so stressed out about said shit happening. Yeah. So I think those moments where I'm going to say it again. Shit happens. I'm I'm trying not to cuss, but it's just um, it's way. Right. I mean, that was like the out. nicest cuss word. I mean, I I was like, I should probably bring that back into my lexicon. I usually just go for the f bomb. <laughs> but at the beginning of my journey, you know, since I am a perfectionist, or I I'm mm. trying to I'm a recovering oh, recovering recovering. Yes, I would personally get so stressed out oh. when things went wrong. Right. And guess what? Again, things are going to go wrong. When you're new, you're going to mess up. It's okay. It's important to utilize and leverage those mess ups as opportunities, I say, to fail forward. So how do we resolve this issue? And then how do we build a process so this issue doesn't happen again? But when you're new, again, you know, it's it's not as clear. So I found myself getting extremely stressed out by an air conditioner that went out in the middle of the <laughs> summer. And could I have done a darn thing about that, you know, leading right. up to there? No, no. Right. Right. However, taking the emotion out of it and understanding, all right, here's the process for, you know, maintenance. You know, we have a process for calling maintenance if they check it out and, they can't fix it, then we call the HVAC people. Again, building that process was something that was important. But at the end of the day, you want your guests to have an amazing experience, right? Right. right. And so not letting that affect me personally yes. um, was something that I wish I knew early on. I love that advice. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. I, you know, if you're not failing, you're probably not learning is what I always say, right? Like you, and then, and then to that other point, right? Like, yeah, you're going to drive yourself crazy if you're worried about like, did I put enough coffee in the thing? Did the, is the air conditioning working? Did the, is the pillow the right, you know, thickness right. for this? Right. The right softness. That's yeah. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. You're going to drive yourself absolutely nuts. Uh, so you do have to kind of separate. Okay. That was a great answer, Stacey. Okay, good. I, just, I cussed three times. I'm so sorry. Well, it was the same word, so that it doesn't count. Okay. It's just okay, the same like, word. If I get too free, is that uh -huh. how it rolls? Under percent. Hundred percent, how it works in my house. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Well, this is the last, the last question. Okay. Which is, if you were to go back in time into your hot tub time machine, where would you have invested? Well, I feel like I would have invested in the same places where I did invest because I is. did a lot of research prior to selecting my markets, and so. I feel really good about where we've chosen to have our, our properties. However, if money were no object. <laughs> I like that question too. Okay. I was going to say if money were no object, I would have a place in the Caribbean because again, I love looking at that 
water, the color of the water in the Caribbean is something that I believe everyone should experience. It is so incredibly beautiful and not something you can really describe without seeing it. So True. I would love to wake up and look at that regularly. Well, I'm going to put that on both of our vision boards for the next okay, five years. Good. Okay. Let's get that on the vision board immediately. <laughs> and I think that's a great, I mean, Hey, that is a great answer. You're like, no, like I did the homework. I made sure that I was going to go into a market that I was not going to regret. And I don't feel like I missed an opportunity. Um, that's fabulous. Well, Stacy, if folks, which I know they will, want to know more, get more of the good Stacy St. John methodology, how should they get a hold of you? Where's the place to find Stacy St. John apart from the Caribbean someday? Apart from the Caribbean. <laughs> so a couple of different places. They can go directly to my website, which is stacystjohn.com. And that is probably the, the easiest place to get me. You can also find me on Facebook. Ladies, you are more than welcome to dive into my Facebook group called Female Short-Term Rental Investors. I'm also on Instagram. I try to be in as many places as possible on LinkedIn, but probably the easiest place to get me is through my website, stacystjohn.com. I love it. Well, and it's a beautiful website, by the way. I enjoyed going through it myself thoroughly. Thank you. Thank you. Stacey, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. So many good pearls of wisdom for anyone, um, no matter where they are in their journey. I think, again, like whether you're just trying to get into one market, figure out what you want to do there, or if you're ready to diversify and you're trying to like sort of hedge those seasonality ebbs and flows, lots of great things from Stacey St. John. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.